Hey, everyone. Today's guest is the very warm, very funny Amanda Seals. After discussing relationships and the future of humanity, we move on to our unqualified segment where both calls coincidentally involve geography. CJ is a British expat who isn't quite ready to make friends after moving to his husband's hometown in Utah. Jordan doesn't know what to do when his career choice has resulted in a long-distance marriage. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, just look for the link in our show notes. We would love to hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So I heard you talking with Trevor Noah about edutainment. Yes. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about that idea? I mean, edutainment is actually a term that was coined during the Black Arts Movement of the 70s. So it's kind of like the tail end of the Civil Rights Movement. So it's like the late 60s, early 70s. And Amira Baraka, his original name was Leroy Jones, but he changed his name to Amira Baraka once he got very involved in the movement. And he wrote this very seminal play called The Dutchman. And he was really at the forefront of this idea that we needed to, as a Black community, like we really needed to reclaim our identities and there needs to be education on, you know, not just civil rights, but on our culture, history, et cetera. And so he really was like very about creating work that wasn't just artistic for the sake of art, but that was artistic for the sake of knowledge. And so he called it edutainment. And I'm like blanking right now on the name of his theater company, but it was basically, it was a movement of the times. And so then you had like groups like the Last Poets who were basically kind of like at the forefront of rap, according to many people. But ultimately it's just this idea that it's creating entertainment that has educational value, which I think a lot of people only apply to like kids stuff, you know, because (laughs) it's like, like Sesame Street is edutainment. I mean, that's what it is. But I feel like my stand-up and the work that I create as a comedian is, in my mind, it's like a TED Talk that makes you laugh. Oh, completely. (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea there was an anthem. (laughs) Now you know. Now I know. (laughs) And it sounds really awesome. It sounds... It's much more beautiful. Oh, yes. It is far more beautiful than the national anthem. Yes, it is. Well, the national anthem is actually racist. I mean, like the second verse has like references to slaves. Like, yeah, like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's essentially like we're singing for us, not them. So on many levels, the Negro national anthem is far more superior than the Star Swing of Banner. I mean, if you ask me, like all of it should be overhauled, like new constitution, New Declaration of Independence, (laughs) all of it. But then at the same time, we have people that are gathering in Dallas to see JFK Jr. Yeah, return. Return to name Trump. So where are we? You know, then in Virginia, they just put, I forgot his name, but they put like an actual, like very, he's not just right wing. Like he's like, yes, I am racist. Like they just put him in office and I'm like, awesome. And let me tell you, Anna, it's white women that be doing the voting that be putting these folks in office. Dude, I am sorry. (laughs) I'm like, y'all need to start having meetings specifically to be like, hey, what are we doing? And it sucks that we get grouped into these racial groups, but we're in a country that really is about that. 
you know, and that even if you're a person who has intellect, who has compassion, who has empathy, who has common sense, who understands that the color of someone's skin is not how someone should be measured, even if you are that person, you are still benefiting from the entire group of people that are considered quote unquote white. And the fact that there are entire legions that work to keep that as the mainstream, to keep that as the standard of what is good and to keep that as the ruling, so to speak, class. So as much as I would love to tell good folks that are considered white, like, hey, like, you know, I don't see you as the problem. It's still part of your problem. So what gives you hope right now? Oh, I think hope is a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, nothing? I was like, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't really have a lot of hope, if I'm being honest. I mean, I'm very concerned about, you know, what this country is going to become in my lifetime. There's a part of me that really feels like we are on the cusp of, like, a real descent into, like, a dark ages. And then I guess what I would say, the the morsel of hope that's there is that... You have dual citizenship? (laughs) Yes, I do. I know. That's real. But these youngins are not really playing. You know what I'm saying? Like, these youngins are really not about the bullshit. Like, when you look at... Like, TikTok is live. Like, they're really, they're not here for the fuckery. And so we must remember that, like, the civil rights movement of the 60s started because of high schoolers. I mean, that was really who set it off. Like, it was high schoolers and college students that sat at Woolworth's counters and that really were like, yeah, let's spend our evenings in secret meetings where we're practicing being harassed and bruised and beaten so that we can go and try and get our rights. Like, that's what was happening. Like kids having to tell their parents, like, I'm probably going to get arrested today. So, you know, and their parents having to be like, damn, like, I don't want you to get hurt. But also like, this is noble. And, you know, I will tell you as a 40 year old person, like once you're this age, you're like, I got a lot to lose, you know, like not just in your possessions, but like physically, you know, like you don't have the same wherewithal. So I think if anything, my source of hope for the future, because I I mean, I'm on the tail end, like we're, you know, we're, I have better days behind me than before me. So I feel like I would love to be here for either the topple of, you know, this racist government or the arrival of aliens. Either one. And yeah. at this point, at this point, I'm like, I don't think aliens are coming. Because if, if I was an alien and I was driving by, I would be like, mm, it looks really, <laughs> let's come, let's circle back. <laughs> you know, like if you go to an event and you don't see anybody outside, you're like, let's go grab something to eat and come back when it picks up. Yeah. Like that's because we don't even have fossil fuels. What do aliens want with this place? Ice cream. <laughs> you know, like I just feel like the best part of the earth at this point is the animals. We're going to see so many more extinctions in our lifetime. And it's so frustrating and sad. Like for a lot of us, it was like the dodo bird. Like that was the extinction. And now it's like we've seen the, the, the complete extinction of the African white rhino, like in the wild. I guess they have like possibilities in captivity. But, you know, there's all these animals like the bonobo and tigers. And I mean, it's just sometimes I feel like I want like when they say ignorance is bliss. I know what that means. Yeah. 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 Because like when I stay off Instagram for like two weeks, I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. (laughs) And it's like because you've only been communicating with your partner and your dog and your cats. 
Amanda, we have a podcast about relationships. Can I ask you a few questions? Please. And let me just also say that to this day, I, as a part of my existence, respond to people from you in Just Friends. Like, to this day. Forgiveness. (laughs) I had so much fun playing that atrocious person. (laughs) That's one of my favorite movies. To this day, that's like a genuine... I actually do that in Insecure. Insecure season two, I want to say episode five, Molly says some slick shit to me, and in honor of that character, I respond. (laughs) I love it. So let's talk relationships. I love talking relationships. Okay, great. How old were you when you first fell in love or thought you were in love? Ooh. uh, When I first thought I was in love. I would say I was pretty head over heels for Armando Velez in 10th grade to the point. I mean, he probably is finding this out for the first time listening to this podcast. Um, But to the point where I learned all the words to Wyclef Jean's Gone Till November so that I could like, I sat behind him in American history class and he had like mentioned that he liked the song. So I learned all the words and I was just like, casually like just singing them like under my breath and he was like he like turned around like hey do you is that are you saying God to November and I was like oh yeah it's like my jam (laughs) it worked (laughs) these are my flirt tactics but I would say yeah but there was this dude Kenyon Adams that same year there was Kenyon Adams who was a senior and he was like the Denzel Washington of our school theater at my high school Dr. Phillips in Orlando Florida the greatest high school of all time never less than the best theater was like equivalent to football at my high school that's amazing yeah it was very bizarre we were legit cool I believe it we would like just do performances in the middle of the lunch and it's Florida so it's also like this is not a hotbed of progressiveness but yeah, like, and so my high school, like Joey Fatone went to my high school. Eddie Wong went to my high school. Wayne Brady went to my high school. But yeah, so like we've had a a long journey. And in high school, when the drama club would meet, because Kenyon was the president. You like a man in power. But <laughs> that has since changed. Um, <laughs> But, like, the drama club meetings would be packed like a new edition concert. I mean, it was like a real thing because it was Kenyon and then there was Alano Miller. And Alano was a junior and they were like the president and vice president. And they would come on stage like, how y'all doing? (laughs) I mean, and I just was like, I have notes. I still have notes writing to my friend Julia. Like, I am in love with Kenyon. Like, he is the son. And And then I got my first French kiss from Kenyon on prom night and immediately didn't like him anymore. Wait, wait, wait. This is amazing. So... (laughs) He asked you to prom. No, he did not. He went to prom with someone else. Oh. He went to prom with someone else, and then he dropped them off, and then he, like, arrived at my homestead. And it was me, Julia, and Michael. Michael Scott is currently the genie on Broadway, by the way, in Aladdin. Me, Michael Scott, and Julia are, like, sitting in my living room, and we hear the doorbell. We're like, we're sophomores. So, like, we only got to go to prom because we were friends with seniors. Like, we're not supposed to be at prom. So we had already had our fun, and then, like, Kenyon was at the door. And so then we went out. Your heart must have been pounding. I mean, this was soup's mage. This is such a romantic gesture. It was very serious. And I remember walking behind Kenya into the car and turning back and like seeing Michael and Julia like peering through the blinds. And then we get to the car and we're like chit-chatting. And I remember just basically saying like, 
are you going to kiss me? And he was like, I just feel like I'm taking your innocence. And I was like, please stop it. And you're doing a lot. And he was like, you're right. You're right. And then he took off his rubber bands from his braces. (laughs) I've told this story before, but every time I tell it, it's even funnier. Oh, my God. And I was given my first French kiss in my driveway. And it felt like a slug in your mouth suddenly or something. And then you were like, I don't love this. You know what? I I genuinely... Or was it like goal accomplished? So therefore, I don't like him. I think that's maybe what it was because there was also a bet in play. Tara and Andrea in English class had bet me that I wouldn't get my FFK from Kenyon Adams. And I was like, I'm totally going to get my FFK from Kenyon Adams. And they were like, sure you will. We had a $5 bet on it. And I think that had just raised the stakes. But also, I think there was that other feeling when you're like, I've liked someone for so long. And then when they like you, you're like, why did it take you this long to like me? Like there's like, there's like a resentment that I think pops up. I think it's also the fear too of like suddenly. It's real now. Yeah. Also, by the way, he was like going to college and all of a sudden he was like trying to like be in a relationship. And I was like, I'm 15. I'm like not ready to do all that. Like, I don't even know what that means. Genuinely. I don't know what that means. And I didn't have another kiss again until senior year. And it was Andre Small. Who was your first boyfriend? My first actual boyfriend was Marquise Price. And that was the end of my senior year. Okay. I was a late bloomer also. Me too. I was like flat chested until 99. Okay. 2008, Dr. Teitelbaum. <laughs> um, so, and even then it was like a peekaboo. Like it wasn't like I went home for the summer and came back like ba-ba-boom. Like it wasn't anything like that. But I definitely, I remember Marquise had asked me to prom senior year. And like he was somebody who was just kind of like in the orbit of people I was hanging around with. But he was a football player. And it just, you know, it was almost like, that's like too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I can handle a football player. Like, and then he like asked me like in such a bashful way. Like he had his friend ask me like while he was in view. And I was like, why are you asking me when you're right there? Like, why why is Chris asking me when you're right there? So we went to prom. And then after prom, he was like, you know, I like you. And you're right. I think I genuinely was scared because I had no experience. And like my mom, like never taught me about boys or anything like that. Was she strict in that way? She wasn't strict. She's from the Caribbean. And it's just not like a, like books showed up on a couch one day. And that was my intro to sex. Right. And I remember going and laughing at her and being like, I've known about this for like years. And here you are coming with these books, like in 10th grade. (laughs) My parents wanted me to remain a virgin until I was married. Was it like that? No. There was never even discussion. But when I did lose my virginity, I called my mother. I was like, I just want you to know that I am no longer a virgin. And she was like, well, I tried my best (laughs) and hung up. (laughs) And then she called me right back and was like, you're paying for your gynecologist and hung back up. I mean, okay, whatever. (laughs) So... I had a single parent. She was working. I was also just a very, like, like I was a safe kid. Like, I never had a curfew. I remember I came home one night at 3 a.m. in 10th grade, and I walked in her room. I didn't even turn on the light. She didn't even sit up. I just heard from the covers, no, this is doing a bit much. And that was Your that. mom sounds awesome. <laughs> she's, she's a hoot. And that was that. Like, I mean, but then one time Marquise and I like were watching TV 
and like this is like summer before college, by the way. And we like we're watching TV so late that it was like, well, we're in sleeping bags in front of the TV. Like, let's just fall asleep. And when the morning came, my mom was like, it's time to go. <laughs> and we were like, well, we tried, uh, you know, but. Yeah, the first boyfriend thing was also interesting, too. I got very lucky. When I talked to my friends about, like, their first boyfriend experiences, a lot of people had, like, just shitty times. Yeah. I got really lucky, man. I guess maybe that was the, like, exchange for having a shitty father. I had, like, a good first boyfriend. And that kind of, like, I feel like that helped set a groundwork for, like, not ever becoming bitter. Like, because I always had a certain level of, like, no, there's, like, a good version of this. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. I always had a good example. Like, even though I went through the whole phase of trash-ass boyfriends, I've always had this example to go back to. And, like, my second boyfriend, my boyfriend in college, like, I mean, we had our stuff, but he really showed up for me. And that's who I ended up with, by the way. Like, 20 years later, that's who I'm with. Really? Mm-hmm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh my God, Amanda, that is amazing. Because I was going to ask you if you've ever had your heart broken. Oh, yes. Will you tell us about it and how you got over it? I mean, I'm just trying to think which one. <laughs> because I'm a cancer. <laughs> I've had my heart broken several times. Um, you know what, though? It's funny because I really feel like the most recent time that my heart was like broken, broken was by someone I wasn't even with a long time. It was like, you know, one of those like instant bonds. Mm -hmm. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, like we're both on the same page. And then they just cut it. And I learned later that like what I was thinking was my heart being broken was really my abandonment issues being triggered severely. Yes, that makes sense. That's what was really happening. You know, because when you have abandonment issues and you're a codependent, you bond with someone like very quickly because if they show up for you in a way that no one else has, it feels like this is what I need. And so you like connect with them and it feels like love, but it's really a chemical response. Like I've read about it that it's like your brain reacts to certain things like by habit. So like when something shows up that looks like the thing it needs, like it'll react that way. And it's like, that's why they say you need to wait three months. You need to wait at least three months for someone to actually show you. And like in those three months, you can be open. You can be open to learning about them, but you need to be cautious and you need to be watching for the person that actually exists behind who you're seeing. Now, sometimes that person who exists behind who you're seeing is the same person. If you meet me and we talk for three months, at the end of those three months, you're like, okay, so you're the same. You were crazy in the first day and you're crazy in the 90th day. Right. It's the same version of crazy. And also, by the way, everyone's crazy. Yes. So I don't even like when people are like, oh, like this person, like they're just chill. And it's like they have a version of crazy. And sometimes what you're calling chill is them just being beaten down. <laughs> like they're just <laughs> So like when you speak about abandonment issues, did you look for 
a father-like replacement? It doesn't sound like you did. No, it's not that. So the way it's been broken down to me is like when you have abandonment issues, you essentially attach really quick to folks that you can actually feed into. Like the narcissist is the person who attaches to folks that they can like drain. The codependent attaches to folks that they can like pour into. Because the abandonment issue a lot of times is that you were ditched. And so you feel like you can now like keep someone there by doing certain things and like by showing up. And so what ends up happening to a codependent is you get drained the fuck out because you're always doing and trying to like be everything to this person. And a codependent's perfect match is a narcissist because a narcissist will drain you inexplicably. Like they'll just keep on draining you and you keep coming back to it because they know what to give you to make you feel like this is where I need to be. They give you, you know, little morsels, breadcrumbs. It's a whole thing. It's a whole study. And like, they will feed you with what you need. Like, I remember my line used to always be like, I just don't need much. And it's like, well, you've trained yourself to really not require much because then that makes you more desirable and you want so bad to be connected. So tell me about your relationship then. You met 20 years ago. Yeah. So we were together in college. He was my college sweetheart. And then he transferred and we broke up. Were you heartbroken then? Or was it like, you know what, this is a transition time in life. There's so much. Yeah. Like even to this day, like communication was never like his (laughs) strong suit. So I mean, I literally have the journal entry where I'm just like, so Devon told me that he's transferring and, you know, I don't feel like he said enough for me to stay with him. And his response is like, you know, so you just going to break up. (laughs) So I feel like at that time, it was like time to transition. And he wasn't happy, which is why he transferred. If someone's not happy with themselves, they're not going to be happy with you. And like, that's just a bottom line. And you can't make someone happy. And if someone doesn't love themselves, they're not going to be able to love you. There may be a version that they're doing with you that feels like love, but ultimately it's not real. And it's a very shocking thing to understand once it really hits you because a lot of times two people who don't love themselves find each other. And then they're like in this trauma bond together. And then someone starts doing the work and they start like seeing things about themselves and changing. And then that other person feels left out because they're like, well, now you're not toxic with me. So like, how is this going to work? And I've been in that situation before where you're with somebody And y'all have kind of like unspokenly decided to put up with the whackness that you're showing each other. And that just becomes like your trend. And it's very dysfunctional. And my therapist is, you know, her thing is like, there's dysfunctional and there's different. Like you can be different. It doesn't have to be dysfunction. But I think sometimes we think that that's also not the case. Like that you you can't be different. Like, and my therapist is like, you know, both of you can be right. I don't know if you're aware of this. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) It's like, oh, tell me more. What do you mean? (laughs) But no, so he left and then we really just remembered this the other day because I was like, when did you like talk to me again? And he had come back to New York after he graduated. And you were at Columbia at that time? Yep, I was at Columbia at that time. And he was working for NYU as a financial analyst. And he like ran into someone that we went to school with who was getting their graduate degree at NYU. And then when he ran into that person, he said it made him be like, you know what, that's an omen. Let me call Amanda. And so then he called me. And then we were just friends for 20 years. He was married for like nine years and he changed careers and 
he really pursued his dream. He went to the Navy. Like, he lived a whole life. And it's important because I feel like if we had gotten together, if we had stayed together, like, we wouldn't have lasted. It's funny how things work out. Yeah. Some people, I feel like they needed to be together for the path together. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like for me, in hindsight, I spent a lot of time, like, wishing I had a boyfriend. I had spent a lot of time being like, you know, this would be so much easier if I was doing this with someone. And then I got to a point where I was genuinely happy to be single. Like, genuinely was like, this is fine. And I really think that it went the way it needed to go. Because had I... I wouldn't have met the person because I wasn't ready. Like, I mm-hmm. was still a codependent. Like, it was never going to last. Like, anybody I was going to be with, it was never going to work. Because the people that I was choosing were not people that be with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you know, like, they they rope you in. They play with you. They string you along. They push you away. They bring you back. Mm-hmm. They push you away. They mm-hmm. bring you back. You know, like, you do that whole dance. And I had done that whole dance with someone for a year before I got back with Devon. Like a whole year, pandemic, everything. Oh, so you got back with Devon recently. Yeah, in September of 2020. And we immediately got back together. It wasn't even like a process. (laughs) It was a phone call. And wait, so did you have like that tidal wave of sort of relief and like, oh, this feels right, like Cinderella's shoe? Ooh, yes. And then the wave retreats. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's maybe too stable. Well, for him, for me, no, but for him, like a lot of things happened really fast. Like we got back together and then like within two weeks, it was like, you have to get vocal cord surgery. You can't talk for two weeks. So then I couldn't talk for two weeks. Then I had vocal cord surgery. Then I couldn't talk for another two weeks. So like I couldn't even like really talk for like a month. Then I got pregnant. So then I was pregnant. Then I had a miscarriage. Like, I mean, it was just like, bop, 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 you know? And so I think for him, <laughs> for him it was, and Devon is a slow burn, okay? Devon is a slow burn. So I think for him, it was just like, ah, 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 ah. Even though it was like, I love Amanda, it was just like, these are like larger than life things happening. And I think I sh- showed up at a time when he was like, this is what I want, but I think there was like a certain level of pacing <laughs> that didn't yeah. get to happen because it just happened. And I think part of that is, too, is the pandemic too, because I wasn't working. Not like how we normally work, you know, yeah. like as yep. a performer, like we're out, we're busy, we're places, we're shooting, we're touring. I'm in the house, Anna. I was in the house. Okay. I was in the house. I'm still in the house. <laughs> I'm still in the house too. He was working. Because he's an audio engineer. So he was actually working and he was working with a very, very, very big artist at the time. And so he's on like private jets and like living the life. And I'm just like in the house with a puppy. And by the way, I didn't know about a puppy. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about that journey, by the way. So that was its own. I'm over here like, me and this puppy. And and then I was pregnant and I hated being pregnant. I was only pregnant for 10 weeks and I hated all of it. I hated the whole time. I just, I'm too much of a perfectionist for anyone who has gone through pregnancy, I commend you. Because the stress of like, wait, did I just eat something that killed this baby? Like, I, I oh. that was too much for me. It was too much for me. I spoke to a psychic about it. And she was like, yeah, it's too much for you. <laughs> she, was like, she was like, I'm looking at your stars and shit. She was like, that's too much for you. And I just, it was just a really like tumultuous time. And then we ended up deciding like on the other side of the miscarriage. We were just like, okay, we're here. And I think genuinely, he wasn't fully sure that he, like, even though we'd known each other forever, 
We did have a falling out five years ago. So it was like we had a falling out. We hadn't spoken in five years. And then I texted him one night and was like, what's your Instagram? And then we were together by the next morning. So I think there was also just like the catch up of like, wait, do I trust you? Like, we haven't talked in five years. And then I don't care what anybody says. No matter what your relationship is, you carry the baggage from your previous relationships. It is something you have to consciously work through to undo. As humans, like we blueprint, like things, like things become part of our programming that we have to like unprogram. And if you're in a previous relationship, you know, it doesn't matter if it was nine years or three months. If it hits you, it hits you. And it doesn't just go away because you're in a new relationship. And so sometimes things pop up and then they have to get dealt with. But we, uh, we moved. I bought a house. Where did you move to? So we both lived, uh, by the way, he was living seven minutes from me for three years and I did not know. But we moved to Calabasas. I moved out of Los Angeles and I'm in the burbs. It's interesting that you knew each other at different periods in your life and you find each other again, get back together, move in. So he didn't move in with me right away. Okay. I mean, not like literally, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like all his stuff wasn't there, but yeah, some of the stuff was there. <laughs> like you're here, you know, yeah. you're here more than you're not here. And then he moved in the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Like, I think that's when it was just like, and like now that like the baby wasn't like the thing, because I think that had also become like this, as it should, like it becomes this thing that's like before you both, like, what are we going to do with, about this? We have to get we together for this. And it's like, and I mean, you're thinking, well, we're 40 and 41. This should be like no problem. And he, you know, he has a daughter, like you just think, but it doesn't matter how old you are. I don't think it's just, people. And so once that was no longer the thing that was driving, and then it becomes like, do we want to live together? Like just for real, without feeling like it's a part of the necessity? Because want and necessity, I feel like are such a big thing in relationships. And for the most part, I feel like it's strongest when people are doing things out of want, not out of need. Yeah. You're going to be amazing with our listeners. (laughs) Should we talk to one? Yeah, let's go. Okay. You are. You're so wise. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, CJ. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Hello. CJ, I'm here with Amanda, and thank you for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Um, Okay, so I've been living in America for two years now. I married my husband in 2019. We had a couple of months before the whole COVID thing happened. So our first year of marriage was in lockdown. So that was a really good lesson. And we came out (laughs) of it. So, you know, that's a relief. And I think over the past two years, because back in England, I was really, really social. I had a couple of different friendship groups I could tap into for different things. But the past two years since living here, I've sort of chipped away at every opportunity to get out, go out, spend time with people to the point where it's like my only happy place is my apartment with my two kitties and my husband. But I'm also aware that being married means that it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want and what my comfort zone is. And I'm in a place where I've actually said to him, I'm sort of done with this phase. We're halfway through adoption and fostering process and we're saving to buy a house and we're applying in February. So I'm sort of done with this chapter. I want to fast forward to our own home and having our children and growing our family. But I put everything on pause and I know that that's not a good thing to do. That's not going to get me to the next stage in a healthy mindset when I've got to also consider someone else's feelings. What exactly have you put on pause? Any family occasion, any social occasion, going to restaurants, everything that you would just expect. It's just a normal thing. Even if you don't get on with the family, even if you don't get on with the extended family or friends, I have put on pause. And I've always been very honest. I've not given excuses like, oh, I'm not feeling well or oh, I've got a bad stomach. It's literally, I can't. And it's never, I don't want to, because I'm very honest. If it's a case of, I don't want to do that. But at the moment and the past two years, it's gradually got to the point where it's like, I can't do that. I'm going to ruin it for you because I can't. CJ, when I read your letter, I was like, I know this. <laughs> oh, that's Because good. I think I go through sort of extremes of being really social and then like periods of just wanting to hermit up. Yep. And yep. I'm with you. I feel like everybody else is kind of ready to emerge. Yeah. And I'm not. Yep. I'm like the butterfly still in its cocoon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'll get there, but (laughs) and it's become expensive because I don't go to the grocery store. (laughs) Right. Right. That's one thing I will do every Wednesday. I listen to your podcast and Table Manners as I'm walking to Smith's. And in my mind, I've socialized this week. Yes. (laughs) I don't need to do anything else. (laughs) Well, I love it that you wrote in and you're talking to us. Yes. (laughs) So how is your husband reacting to your hermit tendencies? Is he annoyed or frustrated? I think it would depend on what's going on in his life. Because even though we're married, obviously we're two individuals. We both have different triggers and we both have different comfort zones. So I think sometimes he can look at me and go, I can actually feel that you can't do this. And he'll spend more time worried about me during the social occasion. That He's like, no, this is a good compromise. But I think the more and more I do it, and I'm very self-aware, so I know it's selfish, but the more and more I do it, the less his patience is holding out. And who can blame him? I can't. And I never think of an excuse to try and blame him. But it's getting to the point now where I have to make that decision of changing. And I've tried a couple of times and I will be there. And there's a 13-year age gap. So his social group, there's that 13 years of different preferences and I'm from England, they're from America, so we can't really connect on many different things. And then his family are all sort of one side politically, which 
I don't know if it's a, just an American thing, but in England, you don't tend to know who people vote for. You don't tend to know people's political views because, rightly or wrongly, we don't talk about politics on a whole in England. Here, you know everything about everyone because it's I know. brought up. And yeah. I now find it hard to have anything to say to them because, unfortunately, when you know where they stand politically, it's... Revealing of their character. <laughs> yes, and I hate to judge and I try not to, but I'm human and I can't help it. I sometimes can't even think of anything to say because I genuinely don't want to talk to them. I mean, that's okay, by the way. That's okay. I keep telling myself that, but then I'm like, how does he do it? He's probably been brought up. I'm in Utah. It's quite a conservative state. And I'm not saying that all of his friends and family are bad or wrong because they think differently to me. But what do you talk about when you look at the world differently? You don't look at the future the same. Just think of all the topics you could discuss. They're gone. There's nothing I can say to them because it's like, well, you're going to disagree with me. I'm going to disagree with you. It feels like the commonality is a chasm. I'm exhausted to socialize because I'm running through all of this in my head before I even leave. This could be a few days running up to it just for a family meal on a Sunday. And I'll stay up till three o'clock in the morning going over and over and over it. I'm like, can I simplify this for you? Yes. You don't like them. (laughs) That's what this is. You don't like them. And that's okay. Like, I really, like, you're internalizing it to you. Like, why can't I just be okay? Because you don't like them. And it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. It's CJ, it's fine. <laughs> like, right. you don't like them. And, like, it feels crazy when you're like, I don't like my partner's friends and family. You're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> How do I like you if I don't like your people? And his connections to them are different than your connections to them. His connections to them are probably nostalgic and also familial, right? So he's going to have a different interaction with them than you, which is going to be surface for all intents and purposes. And also you're British. So it's a whole other different thing. Because you're like, these dumb Americans, like, what is this? This is stupid. They're doft. (laughs) Like, and I genuinely feel like, And I'm saying this because I've been in this situation. I've been in this situation where I'm with somebody and I'm like, I don't like none of your people. I like you and I keep having to come around these people. And then it was so isolating because every time I would come around them, I would feel crazy because I'm the only one that thinks this way and everybody else is thinking this other way. So then you're like, am I just a negative Nancy? Like, I don't want to be that, you know? And then am I a pessimist? Like, am I a Debbie Downer? And it's like, no, I'm just smarter than y'all. And (laughs) I was raised different. And I think, you know, one thing I will say about America is that there is a very full frontalness in how people come. Like, at this point, it's like, I'm racist and I'm proud, you know? And you're like, okay. But it does allow you to also meet them at that. And culturally, it's different. Like, British people aren't like that. My mother went to nursing school in England. I've been around a lot of British people. And it just, you show up different in spaces. Like, CJ, pre-pandemic in those few months before all of this happened, did you move immediately to Utah? Yeah, so we did the, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Fiance, uh, 90 Day Fiance. We didn't do that show, but we did the visa that it's focused around, the K-1 visa. So we had a whole year and a bit of meetings and documentation and saving and two jobs. It was coming to America was a lot of work. It was a goal. So by the time I got here, I was full of like 
American dream. I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do this. And then I lost yeah, two yeah. jobs because of the pandemic. Oh, God. And then I had to get another one. It, it was. We let you down. You went to Utah. I always want to put this out that I'm very lucky. My mom's taught me this as well. You can sit and whinge and get it out of your system, but I'm in a privileged position. I'm very lucky. So I, I know I'm moaning about my life at the moment, but pandemic wise, in comparison to a lot of people, nothing happened to me, really. Um, so the three months that I had before everything kicked off, it was just getting a job, losing it, getting a job, losing it. I didn't even think of friends and socializing. It was just, mm. I need to make money because... we got to support ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I want children and I want a house. That's all I've been thinking about. And then when I got a job, nothing else really mattered. Where in England did you come from? What was your social scene like compared to Utah? I'm from a city called Birmingham. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Very multicultural. Um, the areas that I've been brought in, I was the minority. And it's the best lesson I've ever learned. With the struggles and the challenges that came with it, I wouldn't change it for the world now. If I went back to my 11-year-old self to 18, I'd be like, oh, run, run, run. But now I'm like, amazing. So that's probably why Utah's hard to digest. Well, there's no... <laughs> it's just white people. I mean... <laughs> it's, it's very white, very straight. A particular brand. Yes. And I don't fit in. So how, how do you talk to people? And I found that the circles that I've been brought into, Brits are quite blunt and they don't mean to be rude, but we're straight to the point. And I find that it's quite passive aggressive and so many layers of politics. Yes. And yeah, that you can just feel the resentment coming off the people you're talking to. And I'm, I don't want to do that thing. I'm not fake. I'm real because sometimes you have to be fake, but I can't I don't know if it's because I'm 31 now and I'm exhausted with the game of socializing. I can't do the fake thing anymore. And I want to do it for my husband. No. (laughs) Sorry. I think he has to, Amanda. He's going to end up resenting his husband. That's what's going to happen. Well, listen, I have a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I poured a margarita. (laughs) (laughs) I do think, especially... With the holidays coming up. Oh, well, I know. I'm so sorry. I'm really about sorry it. about that. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, first of all, are you guys close to Salt Lake City or? Yeah. Okay. And how, like, geographically close are you with his family? I'd say 40 minutes. And I have to say this as a disclaimer. My mother-in-law, we are polar opposites in regards to how we view the world politically. But, oh, my gosh, the stars aligned. And I was so worried that I was like, I need to love her. And I genuinely, I'm not just saying it because I'm on this show. She's the anchor and I love her to bits. Oh, good. We know what we can't talk about. The rules were set and we verbally said, okay, we're not talking about politics. We've got a faith connection, which really does help us. And we love Call the Midwives. So that is a relationship (laughs) that I can (laughs) process and feel excited about. Just a side note, that was my mom's life. She was a midwife in... In in London, and she would have to ride the bike and put on. Oh my yes. gosh! So I love calls the midwife as well. <laughs> I knew your mom was rad. <laughs> I have so many questions for your mom. Get her on. <laughs> right, CJ. I think this is great news, and it shows a lot about your character that you mm-hmm. found somebody that, even though you disagree with like those things, yeah. that you have a genuine love and appreciation for her. And that just says a lot about you. Here are two ideas, and let me know what you think about them. One, I think taking your husband to dinner is a great first step 
Does that idea give you anxiety? Restaurants due to other issues, yes. If I'm being honest, I won't go into it too much, but restaurants and that environment, 100% yes. But you make a good point. It's not about me. That would mean a ton to him. What I have done is, and I don't know when this goes out, I'll tell him not to listen, but I booked a concert for him for Christmas and it's a social occasion. We're going to a venue, you know, the whole thing because I thought I'll try and meet him halfway. Restaurants, mm, but I am trying. So I did book a concert for someone he likes around Christmas. So that's going to get us out the house. That's dope. Um, but the restaurants, I won't lie to you. That's something that I can't do yet. Okay. You are amazingly self-aware. What about a hike and a picnic? Yep. <laughs> For the past two years, hikes have been quite a funny debate between me and my husband. He's lived here his whole life, so he doesn't have that level of excitement to go on a hike every Sunday. So right. I love hiking, love walking, not saying I'm any good at it, but I do it until I pass out. <laughs> Right. So we have had this debate on and on and off. And then because he doesn't enjoy it, it turns into a little bit of a... A row. Yeah. It's not a full-on argument, but it's like, fine then. F you. You, you do what you want to do. <laughs> so this is something we were talking about the other day because everything I've said to you, I've said to him. And I've said, I will try my best because there's Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that. I said, I will try my best to at least go to one of them and show up and not be a dark cloud in the corner, like saying, don't fucking talk to me. Can you do a hike for me? And he's just not there yet. So he's, like I said, we're two different people. He's not physically in the space where a hike and a walk is going to be enjoyable to him. It's going to be more of a challenge. It's going to make him feel bad about himself. So, yeah. What about a road trip idea? Okay. Not necessarily to socialize with other people, but just to get away and maybe change the scenery. And road trips provide the opportunity for long conversations or listening to something and talking about it. Just like a first step. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Idaho? Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Where else can we recommend? Colorado. Colorado is like God's country. It actually is a beautiful journey. I've driven through it. Like we did go on a trip um, the other month. I don't know if any of you are Twilight fans, but it's been a dream of mine since I was 18. We went to Forks and La Push Beach. and Oh my God. Wow. You know that's my country. <laughs> it was just beautiful. I grew up in Washington State. Oh. Have you ever been there, Amanda? Yes. My aunt lived in Edmonds for quite some time. I'm from Edmonds. I don't know if you know that. Oh, that's, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to Edmonds, you know, we did all the fairies and the we picked blackberries. You know, I did my Seattle time. CJ, okay. did you like that road trip? It was amazing for us as a couple because he planned it. You know, not everyone's going to want to go on a twilight road trip. In all honesty, I do. <laughs> to Forks. <laughs> yeah, to Forks. And it was just one of those trips that I was like, is this really happening? After the pandemic and all the crap everyone's been through, I was like, no way is this happening. So that was a really good little sort of check-in as a couple to go, oh, we can travel with each other, not want to kill each other. Because sometimes travel can be stressful. And it was just one of those trips that I couldn't have asked for a better result for the, the whole thing. It was amazing for us. Are you in a position where you can just take off one weekend? I'm not because, I've, oh gosh, I moved from England where I got six weeks off a year standard to right. 11 days a year here. <laughs> So that's another reason that my time off is so precious to me. Again, another selfish thing, mm. me, my needs. There's not as much time to take off. When I do have it, it's like, I want it to go this way. Because if it doesn't go this way, it's wasted. What do you do? So I'm in property management. So I go into an office sort of Monday to Friday. Okay, so potentially Friday afternoon. Yeah. I think it would show him that you're working on this. And 
putting in effort. It would also be really romantic. Yeah. My other piece of advice, I would really cultivate your relationship with your mother-in-law. I would call her and I would tell her these things. You know what I mean? Like, not only because of the holidays, but once you start developing an intimate Mm -hmm. relationship with her, I would call her and I would say, hey, I want your advice. She'll be super flattered and it will bring you guys closer. So when you're there at Thanksgiving, you can just like hide out with her in the kitchen. Not have to talk to everybody else. And you have your ally. Yeah. And your husband will really appreciate it, too. If you called her and said, I don't know what is going on with me. You know, I'm just having a hard time being social. You don't have to bring in the the family or the politics or anything. <laughs> yeah. She asked me the other day, actually. She was like, we've got a thing with members of the family and extended family that are very different from myself. We would love you to come. And luckily, I am in a position with my mother-in-law where I can just go, I'm really grateful, but I can't. It's that weird thing of I want to want to, but I can't. And when I force myself, I've been there. And you know, when socially you can go, oh, it's a bit awkward, make things up to say. It's like my brain goes completely off and it's embarrassing thing. I will literally stand there until the person walks away because I'm like, what do I say? Well, it's social anxiety. Yeah. It's social anxiety. And that's a real thing. I've never had this before. So it's such a strange thing to go, why can't I make something up? I think you're also going through the natural transition of culture shock. Oh, gosh, yeah. And what you're describing sounds like actual shock. You know, it's just being in a new space and it does take time. I had a friend of mine who had moved to Paris and she ended up meeting somebody and they basically did what you all did, but the French version. Okay. And she had to learn a new language. You know, and she just described how, like, the first year, she said, was so incredibly difficult because she was so self-conscious all the time. And lonely, I bet. She was isolated, exactly, because she was like, I'm trying to learn the language, and then I don't want to make mistakes. Yeah. And Paris is a a city that, like... It's not forgiving. (laughs) (laughs) But she got to the other side of it, and so that's why I was telling that story, too, because she said, ultimately, she got to the other side... When she just reached a point where she had built up her confidence again, and it just took time. And I think, you know, when Anna is suggesting, like, creating stronger bonds with the people that you do have a connection with, like, that does help in that process. Yeah. Because being by yourself around a bunch of people is the most craziest feeling. You're like, why am I lonely in a room of people? (laughs) Like, it feels like the universe is gaslighting you. And so I'm glad that you wrote the letter and that you're on the podcast also just so that we could tell you that you're like not alone in that feeling. You know, that that's like a very common feeling. Totally. And you had like special circumstances too. Not only did you have culture shock initially, but then... A pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) You've like built up your hurdle. So we need to like slowly break it down. I thought that's... Because every Wednesday, we have a call the midwife night and a takeout night with my mother-in-law and my husband. And in my mind, that's all I have to do. Until we have our children, until we have our home, that's all I have to do. But then there's another person that I need to consider. So completely right, both of you, that there's this massive wall now that I've never experienced before in my entire life. Oh, that's even more jarring. Yeah, because I used to love socializing every weekend and I'd have movie night friends and night out friends and theme night friends where we cook a meal every night. And now 
And I could have this. There has been opportunities for lovely people over the past two years that have wanted to be friends and flat out told me. And I've had to go, I can't lead you on because I look at friendships as just like a relationship. I would be giving you excuses and ignoring texts. So I'm going to tell you now because I respect you. I can't do everything you want to do. And lovely people that I could possibly connect with. And I had to throw it away. Have you ever heard of the Saturn Returns? No. Are you into astrology at all? My mother-in-law adores it all. And she, she texts me all the time about where the moon is and where the planets are. <laughs> and she gives me warnings. It's not something I believe in, but I'm open. Well, age-wise, you're in what's called your Saturn Returns. Oh. And your Saturn Returns is basically like this transition to a new phase of adulthood. And a lot of times what happens during the Saturn Return is the people you were friends with, you're like, I don't really vibe with you all anymore. Like, it's a time of transition and upheaval, and it can be very incredibly disconcerting because it makes you feel like, I don't know who I am. Like, it makes you feel like I've known the person I am this whole time. And now it seems like all of these things that I had, like, grounded myself in that I just knew that I knew about myself, (laughs) now I'm doubting. That makes sense. And so for women, it's typically, like, 28 to 30. And for men, I've heard it lasts, like, longer, like, just in terms of, like, the resettling in. Okay. And I would suggest looking it up. Because I know for me, I was going through this. What you're going through, I was going through it. And then when someone told me about the Saturn return and I looked it up, it was like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the stars. Yep. Just you saying those words, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the bloody planets. <laughs> it could be something also for you to bond with your mother-in-law on too. Like, hey, you know, and your partner is significantly older than you and has gone through transitions and life transitions that are new to you. That a lot of times when you're with somebody that's older than you, They also have to work on themselves, not trying to diminish your journey because they've already went through it. You know what I mean? Like, I know I've been on both sides of that where I have to be like, okay, you're only 25. All right. I got (laughs) to respect that this is like new for you, even though I already know what the outcome of this is going to (laughs) be, you know, but I'm going to support you in this journey. And then I've been on the flip side of it. But I think what's really dope about you is your level of not only self-awareness, but just like consciousness of the fact that like, yeah, you're in a relationship. There is another person there. And so it isn't this definitive, like if it doesn't suit me, then it doesn't matter. There is a certain level of, I don't like to call it compromise. I like to call it consensus. (laughs) Like, We all agree, you know, that this is the best move. And I think I just want to just say, though, that it comes from both sides of the relationship, you know, and I think both parties have to meet in the middle. There is a certain level of understanding that that I hope that you're getting from your partner about the fact that, like, he's in his territory. Like, he's like in a completely comfortable space. You're coming in. You're going to need some help. He's admitted that he couldn't have done this visa the other way around. You guys are both so generous with each other. Yeah, that's dope. I think having our first year of marriage within a pandemic, which I know we're not alone. There would have been millions of people going for the same thing. We both said we're either going to kill each other this year or we're going to say everything that's on our mind and deal with it. If it's going to hurt, if it's going to make us feel uncomfortable, just get it out. Don't sit, you know, with the elephant growing and growing and growing. So what we told each other from the start, we've both gone through shitty relationships that we don't want to repeat. So we said, to not repeat the same mistakes from the past, let's just say everything that's on our mind, which is risky, but luckily for us, it's worked out. So 
he said, I could not have gone to England and started my life again. He has more of an understanding of the struggle and the, the challenges of moving to a different country than I do. And I'm the one going through it. I'm, I was like, how do you, how are you comprehending everything that I'm going through before I even know how I'm feeling myself? So I am very lucky in regards to that. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. CJ, I hope it is comforting for you to know that you are not alone. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel bad that they're going through that, but I'm glad that I'm not the only crazy one. (laughs) No, my friends are like, hey, we're all vaccinated. Let's hang out. And I'm like, I know. At least you're honest. You give excuses. Because I I wasn't at the beginning because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. And then I was like, oh gosh, I'm just this horrible liar. Do you give excuses or do you just say now? They've stopped calling me. Oh, okay. See, <laughs> But, you know, we have three kids here, so I like to tell myself they understand. Yeah. But you're not alone at all. As far as generosity towards your partner... Like, I think a road trip this weekend would just be incredible for you guys. I really, really do. And I think you could, you know, you would have fun researching it. There's lots of hot pools around. So just a nice little evening away where we go in the hot pools. Um, Idaho has it. Utah has loads of them. So that sounds like something that we both mutually enjoy. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. stress-free and it's a breakaway. Exactly. When you said about Friday, it's like, oh, but I plan to have a shower, get in my pajamas. (laughs) But yeah, it's a nice little way to shake things up as well. And CJ, truly, like, I think you'll get a little motivated when you start doing a little research, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be kind of exciting for you. All we've been researching at the moment is our fostering training that we've just passed. And now we're starting on the paperwork. And So you guys, you are in a very particular place. And you have been for most of your relationship, it sounds like, where you are futurizing. You have to get the future figured out. Yes. And that prevents sort of living in the present. So CJ, you're not only worried about like the kid that's coming in the home, but you're also like, oh gosh, now I have to tackle my social anxiety issue. Yeah. How is that going to work? I know I can't put life on pause until we get everything. I mean, when you're single, you can kind of do what you want. I think another anxious thing is in Utah, the first same-sex couple to ever be able to adopt was only six years ago. So it's it doesn't even feel like a dream that's reachable yet. Wow. So yeah. we can't even get lost in the enjoyment because it's such a new thing here. That it's like, I think I'm going to pick us. And if that doesn't happen, what do we have to do? You know. Yes. And then you have brought to the table mentally this other thing yeah. of like, I'm not sure I can go out anymore. I don't know how to talk to people. So I think that you have to reframe this a little bit because it's just too much pressure for you to have. I mean, I wonder if you can sort of convince yourself that you're in the cocoon and you will emerge. It will happen and you don't need to do it right away. I just don't want you to have the weight of all of these things. It's exhausting. So you're right. I'm really happy with my life. It's not a bad life, but I'm my own worst enemy. Everything else is fine, but it's my own head. So I think just small steps. And I do think it would be really interesting for you to get closer, even closer to your mother-in-law. Yeah. And just have a long phone conversation with her. If I asked her about planets and Saturn and all sorts, she would be able to talk to me for hours. I probably wouldn't understand it all, (laughs) but she loves it all. And I would tell her what you told us. Like, I feel like this social hurdle, and I don't know if it's fair to your son. And what, Mm -hmm. like, she'll love that. 
I will say there's a certain part of it that is going to be you also taking ownership of like, yeah, I am the only British guy here. And that not being a source of isolation, but of like, it makes me special. Yes. I like that approach because there's a lot of room to grow, Amanda. Eventually, maybe you have like a football club or something, <laughs> you know? The, yeah. like, <laughs> I'm the worst British person because every American says, oh, what team do you support? I'm like, I know fuck all about football. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I disappoint so many Americans. But maybe I'll just take on a team. I don't mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Manchester United. Yeah. Have a bend it like Beckham night and everyone watches the movie. Oh my gosh. Love that film. But thank you both so much for telling it to be straight. Oh, CJ, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think you're awesome. And you'll find you'll find your group. Yeah. You will. CJ, I love you and thank you so very much. Thank you so me. much. See you both later. Thank you. For, have a nice holiday season. Thank you. You too. You too. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Jordan, are you here? Yes. Hey, how are you? Doing pretty well. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah. So I have been married for about six years, but we're kind of like locked on different coasts right now. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm from Philly. And uh, we met there. We kind of like jumped in pretty quickly, I'll be honest, but still into it, fully committed, all of that. It's just that I'm in LA. I'm pursuing acting and comedy. You know, who would do such a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so back home, there just like wasn't a lot of opportunity. I would drive to New York sometimes, but still that in itself was like six hours of driving a day. So not really worth it and did what I could out there, but came out here. And the other piece is she owns like a, a successful business and a house, which has she's had since before we even met. So um, when I'm back East, like we get the benefit of being together and it's great, except I'm feeling like career-wise, like there's nothing for me here. And I get this like weird, I went home for a year, you know, during the pandemic, which was great. We got to spend a lot of time together. But after the end of that year, I was just kind of like, okay, I need to move forward, do something. 
And so I came back out here and she's kind of like, okay, you know, what would be a next step for me if I were to leave this business? I would need something to move to. And so I'm like, all right, something needs to hit for me, which is like, can't expect that to happen. So it's just kind of like unrealistic and crazy. And maybe you can solve my life. <laughs> oh man. So your wife already has the establishment of like home and business on the East Coast. You're pursuing your dreams in Los Angeles and you have no idea when you guys can actually live together while making money. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't seem like at this point everything can come together. I guess I wanted to ask a little bit about your sense of loneliness and her sense of loneliness and how much this weighs on your relationship. It's a bummer. Like we don't bring it up that often because it always just ends in like, what's going to happen? Like, how are we going to make this work? And we just kind of take it day to day. You know, we talk constantly. We're in constant communication. I go home whenever I can. She doesn't really... Well, first of all, she's so busy, but um, she doesn't really like to come out to LA. It has nothing to do with me. She just doesn't really like city life. And I don't blame her. I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plenty of reasons not to want to be here. And I agree, but I kind of feel like I have to be here at the moment if I want to yeah. be who I want to be, you know, so. <laughs> oh, man. Work versus relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amanda, everybody in our industry confronts this to some degree for sure. And it's fucking hard. I mean, I feel like the folks I know that have made it work have done so by employing a schedule. Mm. Um, Which seems like, I think sometimes with relationships, when you attach things like that, it can feel like I'm making this into a business transaction type thing. But I mean... Sometimes you even have to schedule sex. I mean, that's just, it's like, I mean, that's just adulting, right? But I i do have a number of friends who have been in a similar scenario where they couldn't leave because they were shooting something, right? And so they're just, this is where they live right now until it's done. I mean, I have a friend who, she was with her husband while he was filming in Vancouver for four years, but she had a whole business in LA. And so they eventually had to like create a schedule She said it was really helpful for them because one, it gave them a solid thing to look forward to because it's the uncertainty that was really creating anxiety in their relationship. And she said also it was good because it created like romance because it was like when they're away, they're away, but when they're together, they know that like that together time is so precious, but they got through it. And I have a couple other friends who the person who had the solid job, you know, they ended up having to figure out how to have somebody be their number two so that they could leave and come back, you know? But I think the number one trend was both parties deciding like, okay, how do I show up? And making it a team decision. Like sometimes I'm going to have to travel. Sometimes you're going to have to travel. And knowing that like, it's not... Like, it just became like, this is what our relationship is right now, but it's not forever. Jordan, do you also have the resource? Like, can you afford to go back once a month? What does that look like? I mean, yeah, financially right now, I I luckily can. And this is is kind of another piece. So my background is in, my education's in science. I have like a master's in public health and I work for a health department right now remotely. So... Casual. Right. (laughs) Casual flex. Sorry. Uh, Okay. So part of me is like, am I kind of an asshole for not just like staying home and working, especially during this time when I can work remotely, but that's not really, that's not what I want to do. Like, 
I don't want to be there for a long time. I don't like that world very much. So yeah, it's kind of ends up being like, like Anna, you were asking, I go home for like a month at a time or like, I'll go home for two months at the end of the year, which is kind of like shooting myself in both feet, you know, career-wise sometimes out here. This is a big hurdle. I mean, I had two essentially like long distance marriages before I got married to Michael. So this problem hits home with me. Like, when are we actually going to be together? When will we wake up together with consistency, you know? Right. It sounds like you both really love each other and really want to be married to each other. Right, Jordan? Of course. Yeah. So I think that the short-term solution is kind of what you guys are doing. I don't know if you should go back for a month at a time. I think it should be every month for like a week Mm -hmm. or a long weekend. And if you can afford to fly, do that. Because a month is almost like the decision-making time. That's a long long time time to have this big issue in your life to be rolling around in both of your heads. I agree. I think it's like, okay, I'm here for a month. Let's work it all out at the end of this month. Right. Maybe that's what we're trying to say, but I hope that's not what's implied. It ends up being like logistically, you know, there are holidays and like there are reasons and her birthday is in January. I'm like, well, let's just do a span. But I, I agree. I mean, it would be nice to have more shorter trips. But traveling is weird right now. There's just so complicated. Yeah. Is she in a position where you guys could meet in the middle? Oh. I don't know, Chicago? Uh, Maybe. We've never thought about that. I I like that. We've kind of talked about just like going on vacation, just like, you know, meeting somewhere, which is always fun. So she owns a a clothing store and uh, December and the holiday times are like right. extremely busy for her. So oh, yeah. I just have to go and like be supportive and kind of hang out at home during that time. So, I mean, that's a good idea though. I like that idea. Let's go to Chicago. Well, or like New Orleans or... I was thinking New Orleans too. Yes, I was thinking New Orleans. She'll hear this. So we'll see what she thinks. I, yeah. I love it that you guys are both supportive of each other in this way. Yeah. Because... It's rare. Right now, you're right. It isn't conducive to a typical marriage. And it sounds like that's the good news. It sounds like you guys are just dealing with this as best you can. Yeah. I mean, I'm really grateful for how supportive, like imagine being like, I'm going to move to LA after three years of marriage and just being like, I really need to do this. And she's like, all right, you know, as long as we're committed and all that stuff, like I want you to be able to do what you want and need to do. That's beautiful. And here's my perspective, kind of like most marriages fail, right? So let's like try to not follow this script that everybody else is doing. Let's like do what we have to do so that we give it our actual best shot and has the most chance of success, I think. Because like that old way doesn't always work. Like honestly, I mean, like I'll hear you say little things where you're like, you know, it's not like I'm just going to get a job just like that. But like that's how it works. Like, that's literally how it happens. Like, you just, like, land something. And it's like, oh, shit, I have a job now. In the same way that, like, you're like, oh, shit, I don't have a job now. (laughs) But in listening to you, I just really feel like you guys have such a solidity about your marriage. And you're in a business that has the exact opposite. And so it's like pour into that, you know, instead of trying to necessarily solve a problem that isn't it's not really a problem right now. It's the circumstance. I think it becomes a problem when it's like, this is tearing us apart. I don't feel like I'm really married to you. I don't feel connected to you. 
I don't get that. Maybe that's the case, but that doesn't feel like what's happening. It feels like you are just a considerate person (laughs) and you're like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be set up. But I think you just said something really profound when you said, you know, we realize that a lot of marriages fail. So like, let's not like follow everyone else's blueprint. And this sounds like this is you guys' blueprint and your blueprint is let's support each other. And let's get creative in how we show up for each other in our relationship, the way that we were creative in showing up for each other in our careers. Yeah. Jordan, I think that, you know, when we talk to people who serve in the armed forces, they are very much used to the deployment idea that is a lifestyle that they've chosen. And I wonder if you could tell your wife, like, if you guys focused on the once a month idea, hopefully if she can take a little time, a weekend in a different city would just be great for you both, I think, because returning to like the home that you were living in all during quarantine, I'm sure for you is a little bit like, (sighs) and so like being able to pepper in your visits in new places. You guys are both essentially running your own small business with you pursuing your dreams and her having to run her successful store. So I wonder if it would provide some comfort if you said, all right, in two years, we're going to really evaluate this, or maybe it's a year. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. In your letter, like, Your first sentence is, my wife and I have a seemingly unsolvable problem (laughs) because it is incredibly difficult. And it's really hard to even have in-depth conversations after a while. It's like, how was your day? Good. I'm tired. You know, how was yours? Okay. I love you. I'll call you in the morning. I think it's important to, when you can, try to make sure that those, it doesn't have to be every time you talk. But it is important to keep kind of the fruitful conversation alive. But it sounds like you guys kind of do. Yeah. I mean, when we can, right now, it feels like we're both extremely busy. So it's been a little bit harder. But yeah, I would say like once or twice a week, we just like get into it and like talk like, you know, old friends again. But most of it's like, how's your day? How's your day? You know? Yeah, I know. Especially when you're tired and it's easy to fall into that a little bit. So just be aware of it. When's the next time you're going to see her? I'm just going to take a chunk of time to go home for the holidays and her birthday and stuff. Good. I really think it will be comforting to have short-term goals. Kind of get it in your head when you will see each other. And I really think you need to be proactive with that. Mm -hmm. And if you can, table the grand plan for Mm -hmm. now. Yep. It's too much pressure. It is a lot. It's very daunting to to bring up. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you guys have both independently acknowledged it, but maybe have a little bit more of a discussion about it. Like, let's think of this as it's not going to be like this forever and we will get into it next year. Because who knows, Jordan, like Amanda said, you could get an awesome job on a TV show or something and then that's going to be a whole thing. Mm -hmm. It is a life of like continual unemployment and then like these short, (laughs) intense bursts of work, I had to, I think, prioritize, especially in my 20s and in my 30s, but I had to prioritize my career over a relationship because that's what this demands. I really just feel like if you guys are supporting each other, that's such a rare find that it's like almost like don't even stress. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, Jordan, I hope this has alleviated some of the pressure. And I think it's really impressive. You guys are letting each other have the time you need. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate your advice. Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. And please give my best to your wife. I will. Have a wonderful rest of your you day. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Amanda, you gave such great advice. Before you go, can you tell us about Insecure? You can follow me on Instagram and you can check out Smart, Funny, and Black, which is my brand. It's also a live and virtual Black pop culture game show. And you can check out our Patreon and my podcast, Small Doses, where we have conversations with folks about all sorts of things. It's really self-help from the hip. And we talk about a lot of creative conversations around what it means to be a creative. And I'm really excited to announce our artist series that we have coming up, which will feature artists like Justina Blakeney of Jungalo, as well as Amy Sherald, who is uh, Michelle Obama's portrait artist. So we're being joined by like a bunch of dope artists that are telling us just their story on how they went from, I think I want to paint to like, oh yeah, I make a living out of this career. It was really neat to get to talk to them and, and just hear the difference in like the work that we all do, which is on camera and on screen and that type of art, you know? So thank you all for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. I just love you. Mwah, love you too.